welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast as we turn the big 4-0. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 40 for us, and we will continue to bring you weekly updates on all of the Midwest NFL teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings throughout the rest of this NFL season here. I'm Joe Smith, a proud Detroiter, born and raised, as is my entire metro area today after the Lions did us proud. With me, as always, is my friend and broadcast partner, the voice of reason in the Windy City, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Happy 40th birthday. I mean, episode of this podcast. We are now officially a man. We're 40. Look up the Gundy rant. I can't do it nearly as well as him, but a great Oklahoma State court, uh, coach uh, did that <laughs> rant. Still, and it's one of my all-time favorites. And um, stay warm up north. Um, it is a frigid 74 degrees down here in Orlando, Florida. I don't understand why people come down here in the winter. Um don't worry, my I'm stupid. I'm flying to Chicago tomorrow to get my dose of negative four degrees for a day be, uh, because I can't sit still in one spot. But don't worry, I'll be driving back down to Florida within a couple of days because, uh, you know, I don't I got to get my fix. It wasn't cold enough over Christmas. And I heard everyone complaining about how cold it is now. And I got I got I just feeling left out, you know, misery loves company. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. If you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, sharing us to your social media accounts, recommending our show to your friends, or contacting us via our email. We love when you do that. Podcast at gmail.com. It really is important. The more listens and especially reactions we get, the more people see us and get the chance to listen to us. But before we get to the playoff reactions and analysis that you come here for, we thought it would be fun to talk about the head coaching vacancies before most of them are f- actually filled. There are seven that we know of right off the bat. Eight, excuse me. I've done an analysis of all eight of them, figure out exactly which ones would uh, would I want to take the reins of if uh, if I was a head coach right now. And I have, therefore, the... 2024 NFL coaching vacancy power rankings. Brian, what do you think here? Do we start at the top, start at the bottom? Oh, we always got to start from the bottom and work our way to the top, right? That's the the power rankings are the most fun. Keep a little mystery in there. All right. Who do you think I have as the worst job opening of this year? Carolina. You got it. Yeah. You get to work for Tepper and watch the Bears draft with your number one overall pick. What could go wrong? Hey, on the bright side, as Tony pointed out to me today, Tepper's a good guy. He's given, he's literally given, uh, handing out beer can- beers to uh, fans in Jacksonville. Maybe he's throwing. Oh, <laughs> referring to, of course, we can stop. Referring to the time <laughs> that he was throwing beverages at uh, opposing fans. Week eight uh, against the Jags. Oh. Yes. Um, for. In my method for doing this analysis was I graded on a A to F scale, um, A, B, C, D, F, like a letter grade, each team's job opening in three categories. First was the current roster. How good is this team right now with a heavy emphasis on quarterback? Uh, second category, the draft and cap assets which includes especially, again, heavy emphasis on first round and uh, salary cap ability to move. And third, ownership situation, because we know on this podcast that if you've got an awful owner, there's there's just no saving it. Mm-hmm. 
guess what? Carolina comes up with a flat F on both the owner and the roster. Mm. Because I cannot think of a single player that I on the Carolina Panthers that I would definitely want to be on my roster in two years. The best would be Brian Burns, but he's an in-prime defensive end, and I think he's better off being traded to a contender than paying his roster because he might, you know, he's going to be a little bit on the end of his prime by the time they matter in two years at best case scenario. Well, what the Bears did and trade Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith. Sure, they're doing well, but it's good. They don't make the timeline, and it's happy to see them playing in Baltimore and stuff like that. And I think Carolina should do something similar to Burns. That's the only other guy I can really think of on the roster that matters. And no one else in defense, the offensive line, skill position players are pretty- There's, Yeah, there's a lot of question as to whether uh, Bryce Young is even going to be a quarterback or if he's somebody that – you're going to have to scheme around instead of four. The only reason that this position could be salvageable is if we think, or whoever the head coach thinks that they can fix Bryce Young and get him back to his hype from college that got him to the number one overall pick. Yeah. Other than that, the only thing that's keeping this from being a straight F is they do have some resources to work with. Uh, They have high picks in all the rounds that they didn't trade. And they also have, and they also have 31 million in cap space to make some significant impact, but it all grades out to a D minus and the last possible uh, job op- opening. And we we t- we made a joke about it earlier, but it might be one. Of, it might be the new worst ownership in NFL. That's that, possible. Now that Dan Snyder's gone. Number nine is the Tennessee Titans. At a C minus, so a full letter grade higher than Carolina. Their problems, again, are the current roster, because who do they have that matters? I mean, yeah, I mean, Derek Henry's still there, but he won't be. I mean, he's he's already gone two years beyond what you'd think a running back would do. Yeah, so in a year and a half, two years, I doubt he's even on the roster. He might not even be on an NFL roster. They made it sound like he was gone. Like he played like they gave him the PA mic in this last game and he addressed the fans. Like that tells me he's either traded or he's walking away as a free agent. So Yeah. Yeah, that is a legitimate issue. But a surprising black mark when I really looked at it for the Titans was the ownership. Titans owner Amy. Uh, strong good cause. They're kind of making it seem like the current general manager, Rand Carthon, had nothing to do with the firing of Mike Vrabel, which is throwing the owner under the bus. Either way, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, Strunk has now fired a head coach and a general manager within two years of giving them a big contract extension, and Vrabel was the big head scratcher. So I would consider that an erratic and meddlesome owner, which is a huge black mark for any job. What's keeping this from being another potential disaster is they do have really, really good resources. They've got $77 million in cap space for the 2024 season. All of my cap figures are per spot track, by the way. Okay. Um, and they also have the seventh overall pick, which is high enough that they could conceivably get a legitimate quarterback, though they might have to move up to do it. Yeah. 
it, it's in the be eye of the beholder. You're close enough that you could move up to one, two. We saw Carolina move up from nine last week, last year. Or in this class, you might not get one of the big three, but if you like a Penix or a Knicks or a J.J. McCarthy, he could be there if you wanted. Right. Climbing up to number eight, which is pretty much comparable to the Tennessee job, is the Los Angeles Chargers. Hmm. This really surprised me when I broke down and look at it. It's another one that gets dinged from the ownership as a as a D because they just had come off as clueless so many times. Mm-hmm. They've got a great roster right now. Clearly, the draw for this is Justin Herbert because anybody else might potentially be gone because they're over thirty four million over the cap. Yeah, they they have a quote ready made prime quarterback at uh, star potential. To how depending on how you look at them, and really good to players on defense that have underperformed. And if you think you can fix that defensively, it's a really good uh, roster from that perspective. You got to hit them for the for the cap, but they do have the number five draft pick also, so it ends up being a C uh, for. Uh, the Chargers, if you can get them out of cap hell, which probably means goodbye to a number of the veterans, especially on the defensive side. Another underratedly bad ownership. Yep. I hit them with uh, with a D in the ownership category. Number seven, believe it or not, and I'm kind of skipping this one for now uh, because our ki- if Dallas becomes available – this is where the Cowboys job would be. Why? Okay. Go on. Because the roster is fantastic. This is an A roster. But you also have to deal with Jerry Jones, who I have as a C owner. He really knows his football, but he will also turn on a dime. And you know you're not getting any significant say in the roster because that's his baby. Underrated GM bad he's a really good gm but he's bad at the other stuff for lack of better way to describe it yeah Mm -hmm. um they are also in cap hell at 11 million over the cap and at 24 they don't really have significant you know Mm -hmm. assets to build from what they currently have and it's just kind of a stars and scrubs team so i have them as a C to a C plus with the understanding that you might get fired at any time, no matter how good you do, depending upon what happens in the playoffs. The next job I had is Washington. So we're in kind of the middle tier here. So we got a C plus job. The current roster is the downside here. It's a D they've got some young talent here, but generally not superstars and not at, players that you're going to and not at positions that you're going to draft in the top 10. They've got talented receiver, mid-range talented running back. They've got some offensive linemen. They've got a couple of key defensive stars, but this was an awful defense last year. Their their best asset is picking number 2 overall where they can get any quarterback you want to build and underrated despite the fact that I don't think they got enough for Chase Young. Um, they also did get a second rounder for Sweat, so they'll have a couple extra picks in the uh, top 100, which is nice if you're trying to start from scratch and rebuild it. But they we don't also know what the ownership is like. I mean, Josh Harris is known for firing people. He was the Sixers owner, I believe, in the NBA. Well, the 
Washington uh, commanders have the highest cap space per spot track for 2024 at nearly 90 million in cap room. Okay. This reminds me a little bit of the bears two years ago, but with more draft picks. Uh, so this is interesting to me to, to parlay into, I believe what you're going to go into the next teams. I feel like this is arguably a better situation than possibly the ones that you're going to bring up. I imagine they're close in your rankings, but I'll let you keep going. Yeah. The next big chunk of teams are all super close. Okay. It basically comes down to what do you think you can work around or fix? Mm. With Washington, by the way, I had their ownership as incomplete. So we're basically averaging their A-plus assets with their D roster and ending up with a you know C-plus job. Okay. Uh, the next one is Seattle, which is pretty close here. I would give them a B in ownership. They've got they're pretty much at the cap right now. They're 4.3 million under with a mid round pick is at 16. So C in the asset category, the roster C plus ish because they've got some extremely nice pieces on the offense, but you're going to have to airdrop in a quarterback unless you're comfortable with Geno Smith and you shouldn't be. I might bump the roster a little bit because a lot of their talent is young, like at secondary and offensive line and could develop depending on how it goes. Right. Well, I was dinging them for the defense. I, they, I was, yeah, I was thinking of like some of their cornerbacks are pretty good. They have a rookie and a second year guy that yeah. played pretty well, but they need to work on the line of the linebacker. So incomplete. Yeah, yeah, I would be on one hand, they don't really have a quarterback. On the other hand, they don't really have much in the defensive front seven. So I was. That was gonna say, this is the epitome of a middle of the road, uh, uh, middle of the road team because if you airdrop in a good quarterback and pass rusher or two, it could immediately flip it. But if you bungle that, it could you could be back to picking the top five. I could see this roster going either way depending on how it goes. Yeah. So end result, I have this as a C plus job. They've got a good general manager who's done a good job with the draft, and now. I doubt that whoever they bring in, unless it's Harbaugh or something, mm -hmm. has the same level of control over the roster that Pete Carroll did. Yeah. And one question about the ownership. Um, I know Paul Allen, the great, the late great Paul Allen was really good, one of the better owners. What do you think of his, I think his widow is running it now. Is she? So far, everything seems to be more or less the same. Okay. So I haven't seen any of the meddlesome stuff that or total lack of waking up new owner syndrome as they call it yeah yeah usually when somebody's not doing good there they've got it, the bad yeah. ownership is either asleep at the wheel or fingers and everything no, she's been pretty she's been good at least not terrible whatever. right so i'm comfortable continuing the b as okay. you know from the same ownership family yeah um Moving up to a slightly better job, I have the New England Patriots. The key thing here is the current roster stinks out loud, but they've got tremendous assets, $73 million in cap space, the third overall pick, and you can't ding Kraft as an owner. You just can't. Yeah, I think roster-wise, they have really good defensive pieces. They were missing their best pass rusher and cornerback last year and still had a pretty good defense. Their offense needs a complete redown and teardown. And at least drafting third, they could get Jaden Daniels or trade up to like number one or two to get, well, number one. 
So they have the potential. So I see why you have them over the other teams. And like you said, Kirk Kraft or Kraft is one of the best owners. Robert Kraft is one of the best owners. Absolutely. Which is if this was with most of the owners that we've talked about previously, you wouldn't touch this job because you've got a three year rebuild and Kraft, you know, has the patience to sit through that. Yeah. One caveat living it, filling the shadow of Belichick. (laughs) That is true. Oh, I forgot to talk about the Raiders and I had them way down there. So we're going to, we're going to stick this. I had these guys actually behind Tennessee because you're combining Davis with a roster that has a couple of stars and a whole bunch of duds. And you've got, you know, this is a team that has pretty much threatened a revolt if they hire anybody except the interim guy. Mm -hmm. So it's, We'll see what happens. They might end up shipping some of those stars out to trade for the number one overall pick, or who knows what will happen. How does Max Crosby on the Bears sound? But mm-hmm. but they do have assets. They've got $55 million in cap space. They're way out of territory where they can draft a quarterback at 13, but they've got enough money that they could lure Kirk Cousins over if they really oh, wanted to. That is a good Cousins spot, yeah. But, yeah, I would have Vegas – down there in Tennessee territory. I'm glad you brought that up because I was starting to get the shakes wondering why you thought Vegas was better than some of these other situations. <laughs> no. So that leaves to our, the top one that is currently available, which is the Atlanta Falcons. I have a solid C for the ownership They don't have a whole lot of success, but they don't. It doesn't scream at me. This owner is awful either. Mm -hmm. It might be a little too hands off. The the draft cap is and uh, is this about thirty million in cap space. They've got the eighth overall pick, so they're in quarterback territory, especially for a roster that really does not have a lot of serious needs. Yeah, it's a pretty solid. Their defense is fine. Like I've heard, this is a good Belichick location because they can they have good offensive skill positions. They're in position to get a quarterback, and then if they have good scheming, they could turn the defense around. And it's a pretty weak division where you can you know you can win that pretty you know, you can turn. I could see this one turning around quickly. And I've heard a lot of rumors that Arthur Blank, the owner, he's kind of quietly up there in age and he's starting to get impatient and he wants to win now. So look for this one to be filled by one of the veteran coaches, more like a Belichick or Pete Carroll or something like that, rather than a a hot young uh, defensive or offensive coordinator position. That also puts them potentially in play for a veteran quarterback because they do have 30 million, even if they don't cut anybody. The rumors are they're going big on Justin Fields right now. That is what I heard. We'll talk more about that when we get to the end of the season. Yeah, I agree. All right. If the Eagles job becomes available, by the way, it would be the number one job. This is an ownership that knows what they're doing. They can create winners, including Super Bowl winners. Uh, This is a phenomenal roster that had no business being out of the playoffs in the first round. You could tell the, the the problem on this team was the coaching because that team quit against Tampa Bay. Big time. Their assets are ne- are you know better than you would expect actually 
for a team in their position because they've got over 28 million in cap space. I mean, they, they've done a good job. Yeah. yeah, they also and and their own 22nd overall pick. So C territory there, and this ends up being a B plus job, well, and it's this, darn hard to get an A job. And the current roster is Super Bowl ready. We've seen it in the Super Bowl less than 12 months ago. They have a lot of early prime players at quarterback, receiver. They have a lot of good offensive linemen, a lot of really good defensive line talent. Um, they just need to get something on the back end of the secondary, really, is what all they really need and better schematic. And I don't. that's why we think that this could be a, a coaching opening because – the only thing you could really point to is the coaching staff and losing the roster X and O's on defense, clearly um, <clears throat> Matt Patricia and uh, the yeah, let's, let's call roster. it what it is. Yeah. And the, the Matt Patricia effect and uh, the head coach losing the locker possible locker room because of that. So, you know, yeah. I blame the heavy dose of Matt Patricia injecting his poison and the head coach for letting it happen. I mean, hey, if you're Bill Belichick, you want this job. If you're trying to extend your legacy, this would be the perfect ready-made title contender roster, especially a veteran head coach. If or Bill or Jim Harbaugh, if he's willing to go out and get an offensive coordinator that will run a system that favors Hurts, yes, and not try to turn him into Tom Brady that he will never mm, be. Yes, that's true. They have to play to the quarterback strength, and we've seen him at near MVP level last year. And they ha- they need that. They he's not a scheme proof quarterback. That's the draw. That's really the Achilles heel. So I like it. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. We have four wild card weekend games to get to and react to. We're gonna give each one a significant amount of time here. Uh, we are gonna warn uh our other Midwest landers for the teams that didn't make the playoffs. We are not going to be specifically talking about your team this week. We're going to focus on the playoff games and the teams that are playing next week when we get to the uh, one more thing segment. But first let's going to tackle these games in chronological order, starting with the afternoon Saturday game. Once the Steelers game got moved to Monday that's is the Browns and the Texans. And oh my goodness, the Browns ran into a buzzsaw here. I'm going to start by saying I was completely wrong in my predictions last week where I thought CJ Stroud not getting to see this defense in person when he missed the game in the regular season was going to hurt him. And because, you know, it would be nice to see that speed to acclimate to it. He had no problem shredding this defense. And, uh, I don't know. What do you think went wrong other than the fact that my best guess when I see stuff like this is the defensive coordinator is too excited about the next head coaching jobs interviews that he's going to have and he forgets that he still has playoff games to win. Well, there isn't their defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. I don't know if he's a serious hot candidate at this point because people still remember what he did to Detroit. That's fair. I mean... That's the best guess I can have because he's a veteran defensive coordinator. He's had a lot of success at that level, not necessarily as a head coach, like you said. But usually what usually when you see defenses or offenses implode like this, it's because the coordinator's a hot name. But you're right, he's not really. But, I mean, maybe he thinks he was. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think a lot of it was, do you think it just really comes down to Laramie Tunzel um, stonewalling Miles Garrett? 
And when Miles Garrett can be stopped one-on-one, the rest of the line, the defense isn't good enough to win their one-on-ones. Whereas well, if he's right, if you go ahead and if you and look back at where Miles Garrett's big stats came from, mm-hmm. you remember he hurt his shoulder. What was it about week twelve, something like that? Mm-hmm. And if you look at his before and after, before he was runaway defensive MVP, and he didn't do a whole lot after that shoulder injury. So I think it might have been bothering him more than he really let on. Mm-hmm. But also remember too, though don't take don't take too much away from Tunzel. He is he is one of the best tackles in the league. So, uh, yes. You know, so you combine that if maybe Miles Garrett isn't a hundred percent going in to get that, because normally you have to double or triple team Miles Garrett, which I think opens up the rest of these guys for winning one on ones and stuff. And maybe that it, it was like a reverse domino effect, <laughs> you know, where you couldn't knock down the first uh, pin. So the our first domino, so none of them else, none of the rest of them fell, you know. And I mean, CJ Stroud probably had more time to throw because I mean, maybe we need to give credit to CJ Stroud for just being a veteran in a in the quarter in a in a rookie's body because he is the youngest quarterback in NFL uh, to win a uh, play, uh, playoff game. So tip to the cap. Yeah. To be blunt, the receivers were just running right past the defensive backs and in the Cleveland secondary, which hadn't been happening all game. I don't know if the Browns were trying to play too much single coverage, whatever it was, there wasn't any defensive adjustment, which is shocking when you're getting just shredded the way that this Browns defense got shredded. But I also want to point out that if you look at the splits between home and away on the Browns defense at home, this Browns defense was 85 bears. Good. Like all time good. And at on the road, I don't even think they were top half. Wow. I didn't realize it was that bad. I I did hear a little bit about their splits, but I mean, it kind of makes sense to see that difference because the defense is an energy position slash motivation where when you get that crowd noise going, it gets you going. And maybe they were more, uh, maybe the 12th man should really be moved to Cleveland and out of Seattle this year. Cause uh, sounds to me like they had a big effect on the defense playing well. And how much do you think it might've just been Joe Flacco finally having his pumpkin game where he turned back into one after having a great stretch in the regular season? I'm not well, that- sure. Put a that lot could, of it. He did have back-to-back pick sixes, but they were already down by a lot when that happened. Yeah, but yeah, that just felt like pressing. Now, yeah, as we move on to the Browns post-mortem, I'm going to say this season, despite the loss, was a huge win um, because Flacco was their fourth-string uh, running back or short quarterback. Nick Chubb was their star player. He was out almost the entire year at running back. It's not often where you're running third string running backs and fourth string quarterbacks and winning your way into the top wild card, you know? So they, they yeah. did a pretty good job overcoming a lot of injuries. And I, I give them credit for playing through all that next man up stuff. And a lot of teams this year with a lot of bad quarterback play would have killed to have someone like Joe Flacco step in the way that the Browns did. And unfortunately for them, he was available to everybody. So I got to give the credit for the Browns to pick him up. Yeah, this was an absolutely magical run for the Cleveland Browns. You've got to give all kinds of credit to the Browns team. Uh, I saw a wacky stat, you know, 
Jason, friend of the podcast, refers to this as I think his term is statistical gymnastics, mm. where yeah, you this is the first time this has ever happened by a over thirty left-handed person with a hammer toe. You know, this yeah, <laughs> that kind of statistic. But this one's legit. Uh, the Browns are the first team to make the playoffs without their week one starting quarterback, week one starting running back, week one starting left tackle, or week one starting right tackle. Even their swing tackle went down. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the tackles. That's a huge loss, too. Especially when Will, Will, Will Anderson was a really good pass rusher as a rookie across from there. And uh, it's a shame because even uh, we talked about a former Buckeye fourth round pick, uh, Dewan Jones, was actually one of the best rookies uh, before he got injured. He was their third uh, tackle. He stepped in and was playing really well. So the drop off really happens when you're on your fourth and fifth string tackles. That's pretty that's almost harder to overcome than picking up a veteran quarterback off the bat scrap heap, you know? Yeah, I mean, I will definitely say that Joe Flacco seemed to fit their offense better than any of the other quarterbacks they tried to play. I mean, it's a, and eventually they got, you know, they got, they got exposed in the running game without Chubb for a couple games. They had Flacco throwing a ton and with the fifth tackles and really good pass rushers against them and throwing from behind, it finally caught up to Flacco in the offense. Yeah. And one last thing, when you're, playing the style of quarterback that Flacco does where he generally tries to push it down the field, losing your tackles is actually a really big deal more so than if like you're Detroit and you try to get rid of the ball quickly. Like Jared golf tends to move the ball better, you know? Yeah. Fair style of play the, you know, so um, shall we move on to the next game? Absolutely. All right. So the 1 PM game was the Steelers at the bills. It was supposed to be Sunday at 1 PM. But it was moved to uh, Monday night. It was an early Monday night game uh, ahead of the uh, Eagles-Bucks game, which we won't talk about. Um, So we ended up having a Monday night doubleheader. So this was an interesting one because the Bills took a quick lead. The Steelers kind of came back, made it a game. Um, But the Bills kind of blew the doors off in the fourth quarter and put it away, I think. If you look at it statistically, this was kind of a close game. It, it seems like it really came down to a slow start and a pick six, uh, or sorry, an end zone interception thrown by Rudolph that kind of broke the Steelers back. And yeah. not a bad effort considering they were missing their best defensive player, TJ Watt, and they do not have a great record when he's on the fritz. Now, I've got to give the Steelers a lot of credit here because top to bottom, especially without Watt, the Bills roster is just a better roster than the Steelers roster right now. The quarterback play was kind of exposed. The Steelers had, I think, two turnovers that led to points from the Bills. Just a lot of things happened. You had that weird play with the uh, Friar Muth fumble that should have gone to Buffalo, and but ended up staying with Buff- with the, the Steelers. It just ended up being too much to overcome. They you got to give the Steelers just as a team the toughness the togetherness a whole lot of credit for sticking with it and keep fighting and hanging around but it just never seemed that close. Yeah, and like 
let's be honest, it kind of comes down to you have a veteran team that's won, made it, made it out into the divisional round at least four years of the last five or six, won multiple division titles. The Bills are a solid veteran team that has Super Bowl aspirations. The Steelers the last couple of years have just been happy to keep the winning streak alive for uh, uh, Tomlin to not have a losing record. And let's be honest, it comes down to Josh Allen versus a third string quarterback. And, uh, you know, I think Mason Rudolph, similar, he was kind of striking gold towards the end of the season, similar to Flacco. But at the same time, it's not a veteran superstar at the helm. And they're not, and, and you got to have everything go right when you have a quarterback like that, generally. And I think they did pretty well considering. The defense didn't have their best game, but you expect that with Watt out because you subtract a potential defensive player of the year, you're definitely going to uh you're gonna get you know that you're gonna feel that in the final score. There were penalties, there were miscues, you had Pickens probably getting fined for criticizing the officials. He came out and flat said after the game that you can't beat the Bills and the officials too, or something to that effect. It did get ugly in the fourth quarter, and we would be remiss if we didn't mention that too. Mm-hmm. Well, so now that their season is over, um, I, I think their season was similar to the Browns. Um, I think even our post preseason, we kind of had them as similar trajectories and the Browns just ahead of the Steelers a little bit. And that's kind of how it ended up. Now, granted, they even had similar injuries at quarterback, et cetera. But I think they're a team that's an interesting roster moving forward because I do think they still have pretty good young skill positioning players at receiver and running back. They have a lot of good talent on defense. And we saw like Alex Highsmith ball out this year. Him and uh, TJ Watt were both top 10 defensive ends, according to PFF grades. And you just, you know, Joey Porter Jr. was a great hit in the draft as a cornerback. And oh, he was incredible. Yeah. And you just, you just need to, address the offensive line and quarterback. And unfortunately, those are two big positions that matter. And I'm not sure they necessarily have the capital to go get a quarterback. And I'm not sure they've given up on Kenny Pickett yet either. So what what, what would you do at quarterback at this point if you were a Steelers owner or GM? Well, I really feel like Mason Rudolph was kind of exposed in this game, if I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the search for a quarterback has ended, and yet he started over a healthy Kenny Pickett. That is a great point. That's lost in the shuffle. Is Kenny Pickett was healthy, which tells me they could be shopping for a quarterback. Like I think this would be a great spot if they have the cap space to sign someone like Kirk Cousins. But they don't. They I I kind of looked into the mm. Steelers when I was doing the. Um, yeah. the cap yeah. stuff, the 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 coaching vacancies, and they're almost seven million over the cap right now. So they could, but they would have to make major subtractions. That's with the quarterback on a rookie contract right now. So that's, yeah. that's pretty rough. I mean, they might be hoping to get like strike gold with the fourth or fifth best rookie quarterback or something, or some sort of reclamation project, and hope that someone like a Joe Flacco shows up and doesn't turn back into a pumpkin or something. Yeah. And they're, they're picking one ahead of the Eagles. They're at 21. Mm. Yeah. That's a lot. I would also be remiss if we didn't talk about 
the Mike Tomlin stuff because there's been a lot of heat coming from the internet community that seems to want him gone. They feel like they can't get anywhere near the Super Bowl with him. Unless the argument, though, is with him around, we'll never be bad enough to bottom out. <laughs> oh, and- man. Speaking as people, these are two people who root for teams that have frequently bottomed out in our lifetime. You don't want that. There's no guarantee you'll bounce back up. This isn't the NBA where you're bottoming out for LeBron, nine years of LeBron James or Tim Duncan before, you know, before they can leave. You don't bet your today on a tomorrow that might never come. Agreed. So Tomlin just said today as we record this on the 16th of January that he intends to come back for his uh, well, his final year of his contract. We'll see if they extend him in the offseason. I think it's very likely. And interesting, this is the this is the first time he's gotten to within one year of his contract without being extended. So this is an interesting situation where they might legitimately run out the contract and and go a different route next year, depending on how it goes. So it's weird to see the longest tenured coach in the NFL now that Belichick has stepped down, being possibly on his last year. Well, yeah, um, or at least on a you could. At the very least, he's on the hot seat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, ask the Nebraska Cornhuskers how they feel about nine wins, but right about now. But another coach that got hammered out the, out the door for not winning enough, and then the bottom falls out. The good one with Bo Collini in uh, Nebraska. Speaking of coaches on the hot seat, the Packers – annihilated the Cowboys it didn't look like the Cowboys had much of a defense now this is one where I did hear a lot of rumors that Dan Quinn the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys could be a head coaching job like Seattle or something and this has the hallmarks of a defensive coordinator checked out but do you think it's that or do you think it's that the Packers and Jordan Love have really hit a stride and they are just the greatest offense in NFL history because the Cowboys defense is really good and CJ uh, CJ Stroud and Jordan Love had the Spider Man meme, but in a good way. If you look at their stats for their, their each of their first playoff games that happened this weekend, they were amazing. Jordan Love balled out, dropped forty eight on the Cowboys. The game ended up closer because the Cowboys scored some garbage time points, but I mean it wasn't close from start to finish. The Packers took it to them and annihilated them. Yeah, holy blowout. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle because if you actually look at the matchups, this was not a good matchup at all for uh, for Dallas. Or to be more specific, it was the best possible matchup for the Green Bay Packers. Let's think for a minute about what the weakness is of the Green Bay Packers on offense and defense. They have difficulties at times on the offensive line. For much of the year, they were down multiple tackles. They and you can power run at them if you're set up to do that. Like what both of these teams have in common, the Cowboys and the Packers, is they both like to get a lead and then make bad things happen with their pass rush and stuff happening on the back end. Yeah, that is exactly what happened here because the Cowboys might have been the one team out of the top three or four that couldn't power run at the Packers. They were just not set up to do that. 
So you ended up with C.D. Lamb trying to go deep to intermediate, and they locked him down because that's what the Packers do. They do a default five-man front with safeties back. They give up a lot of the short to intermediate stuff, and they assume that sooner or later you're going to get impatient. Yeah. I mean, they did a good job. I mean, the defense worked great. We saw it against Chicago. We saw it against the Cowboys. And it was pretty impressive. Um, And this is why uh, Mike McCarthy is on the hot seat right now, the head coach of the Cowboys, former Packers head coach. So not a revenge game that he was thinking he was going to get. No, the Cowboys got spanked again. And I think I saw somebody say that Dallas had at one point six or seven second downs in the game and they ran it you know that many times on six or seven down like it was hilariously predictable. predictable yeah I could see that that's one of the not things like I think I heard that when McCarthy was let go from Green Bay and he got the head coaching job in Dallas he claimed he had uh spent the uh season off embracing advanced metrics and then a year later, after he was in the head coaching job of the Cowboys, he's like, no, nah, I didn't. I was just lying to get the job. And I believe him about lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cowboys when are- someone tells you they're misbehaving, believe them. That's yeah. usually a pretty good rule. But hey, and let's remember, this has got to be a rough pill, a tough pill to swallow for uh Aaron Rodgers, who left the uh, Packers and watched them get better the year after he was gone. Yeah, I mean, the Packers fan base pages are getting kind of annoying because they're like, this just in, our championship window is broken open again, thanks to Jordan Love, and I wouldn't go that far yet. Another 15 years, baby, let's go. I wouldn't go that far yet because you're getting gravity-defying production from the running game in Aaron Jones. You have to mention that. Yeah. Ever since, I'm, yes, the offensive line has gotten healthier, but at the same time, the, the gasoline that was poured onto this offense was when the coaching staff, because of injury, committed full-time to Aaron Jones. Yes, and Aaron Jones, I'm looking up his stats now, I believe was electric. I mean, he had 110, 118 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. I mean, he shredded them. And they have this knack with their receiver core. They have a lot of first and second year guys that just keep stepping up. You know, this time it was Romeo Dubs with 150 yards. You know, sometimes we see Bo Melton or Devontae Wicks or whatever, you know. And uh, Jordan Love, the, 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 to me, that's a sign of, Jordan love being mature that he can spread the ball out depending on matchups. And I think he's done a really good job with that. And, you know, he's much more mature than a normal first season starting quarterback. Cause you know, maybe there's something to sitting on the bench for a couple of years to learn the playbook, get adjusted to defensive speed or NFL defensive speeds. So I have to tip my cap to uh, Jordan love and the Packers offensive coaching staff, who we don't talk about enough because we're always hating on uh, Joe Barry and the defense. Yeah, the the defense certainly did a number on on Dallas today. We talked about that. Uh, we also have to give credit to the offense. It looked like the priority for Dallas was not to get beat over the top too many times. They seem to have their best cover guys on uh, on the speed receivers, but that 
just opened up gigantic holes for Dobbs underneath and cashed in again and again. Yeah, because they wanted to take away Jordan, uh, Jaden Reed and uh, Christian Watson, and they had quiet games. But, and you know, like you said, J- he, Romeo Dubs had 150 yards, but they were mostly catching the ball over the middle in wide open space, including the tight end sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, the for whatever reason, whatever the game plan was for Dallas to cover the short to intermediate pass, it didn't work. I don't know if they were counting on their pass rush to get there. It didn't with any regularity. So we'll see what happens next, especially in Dallas, because Jerry Jones was danger levels of angry in that game. I am shocked he did not fire the head coach at halftime. <laughs> I think I I kind of pictured a scene in my head where Dallas the team is in the locker room and they're all cleaning out their lockers and they got that gigantic plastic garbage tin in the middle and Jerry Jones walks in nice and slow and he throws Mike McCarthy in the trash can and then he th- and then he throws Dak in the trash can <laughs> oh my god uh, I think it's time for us to mention that of the uh, seven, eight divisions that exist in the NFL, the NFC East with the Cowboys and the Eagles, much hyped, both of them, is the only team division that will not be represented in the divisional round. And that includes the AFC and NFC South teams, which um, most people thought were terrible and were going to be ousted after in the first round. So tough break for the NFC East and all their giant fan bases in the Northeast. Uh, we have the only division with two teams is the Midwest. And if you want to throw Tampa in there. NFC yeah. North. Yep. You have three of the uh, old AF- NFC Central teams still dancing along with the uh, Niners. So How more about ice. that. So speaking of NFC North teams, do you want to take us uh, to the Rams-Lions uh, game, which was the best for last. This was by far the best game of the uh, the weekend it was really the only true game that was great now we're not just saying that because we talk a lot about the lions yeah this was the only game in which you needed to actually watch the fourth quarter because this was the only one that actually went down to the wire tremendous back and forth game it was kind of a shame that the rams and the lions was a first round game because after watching the eagles and the bucks i felt like the rams would have had a really good shot to beat either one of those two teams and then they could have had it in the second round and it would have been probably better tv but (laughs) i guess they had to have one game in the first weekend that was watchable (laughs) (laughs) well first of all i matthew stafford showed himself to be a class guy before and after the game he said Really nothing that would get fans in Detroit mad at him. He went through afterwards, shook the hands of all of the Detroit personnel and office staff that he could find. He had really kind words to say to Jared Goff. So this is not a Matt Staff word to hate speech that we're talking about here. So that out of the way, let's talk about the Lions. You hear about the monkey on the back, and there's a lot of stuff that went viral coming out of the Lions win where grown men were crying in the stands and the smile on the gray-haired season ticket holder that had been a season ticket holder since the 57 championship. And there was just there with this gigantic smile on their face because for the first time, since 1992, January 92, the Lions won a playoff game. 
in first time in I think it was streak of nine straight losses. You heard about the monkey on the back. This was not a monkey. This was an entire troop of gorillas on the back. And the way that they won it made Detroit fans feel like, hey, maybe we got a shot to be a normal team where we're not looked at as a laughing stock or the worst team on everybody's schedule every year. We're not, you know, if we were if Detroit Lions were a college team, they'd play 10 homecoming games. Not so much anymore because this Jared Goff outdueled Matt Stafford. This team earned it. And I'm going to get off them now. I think the Lions have to extend Jared Goff, and I don't care what it costs. I think the I think uh Dan Campbell is a a fantastic job. And do I fear that at some point in the future he's gonna go for it too many times? And cost him a game. Yeah, I've been saying that all along. You just hope it doesn't happen in the playoffs. He certainly had it under control today. Don't forget yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown. The sun god smiles upon you guys. He was amazing in that game, especially on that third and long. Woo! Yep, and he had the clutch catch at the end of the game, too, on second down, mm-hmm. which you got to give Campbell credit for that also because he could have gone out there and been conservative and said, you know what? We got four minutes. We're up by one. I'm going to run it three times. No, he threw it and won the game. Yep. I love it. And even we had a Sam Laporta sighting. He was clearly not 100%, but he gutted out, caught all three passes thrown to him, including a touchdown. And um, everything I've heard about his injury, he will be better to go better to go next week too. So luckily playing in the divisional or the week 18 knock on wood, won't have a long-term effects because the guys we thought were banged up and we were really worried about played, and they did. They were effective. And uh, I think that's a great sign for you guys moving forward. And, uh, you know, I'm excited for you. There's nothing I can say to give more of a tribute than you have. You're a long-suffering Lions fan. You're not quite 66 years of season ticket holding like that one guy. But, you know, you're, you're, you're as close as it comes uh, to someone our age can be. <laughs> Yeah, you when the Lions last won a playoff game, I was not quite 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really in my clear level of memory because I wasn't following the Lions super closely that young. Take another 10 years before you even met me. Yeah. And we've known each so, other most of our adult lives. <laughs> it was, I got to say, when the Lions scored that third touchdown and I was like, this is happening. Like it, I didn't anticipate that it would be an emotional experience for me as someone that comments on games. Like if you could have taken a picture of my face at that moment, the caption would probably have been something like, I thought I would be dead before this happened. And that third touchdown was a fourth and one to hobbled Sam Laporta. Yeah. I mean, Where, the Lions did not play scared. I will tell you that. Now, we absolutely. worried about Dan Campbell recklessness, but in this day, it paid off, and they won. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where if golf has a good connection to Laporta and St. Brown, which he does, going for it on, you know, throwing the ball, you know, to move the chains at the end of the game to kill the game, for throwing it on fourth and one, if you have the right place to the right guys, it works, you know? Absolutely. Look, 
both the Packers and the Lions had a certain historical importance to their to their win. The Packers became the first seven seed ever to win a playoff game. And the youngest team. That is also true. They The sky's the limit long-term for them, especially if Love really can thrive when the time comes that they have to pay him. Uh, the line with the Lions, it was the whole monkey on the back thing, and it's not just okay. Yes, perspective. It's one playoff win. There's no guarantee we're gonna win the next one. There's no guarantee that another playoff win will come anytime in the next two decades. But it doesn't feel that way with this build right now. It feels like it's a more permanent thing that maybe they're not in the playoffs every year. Maybe they're not winning playoff games every year. But you feel like they could be in contention for it every year or almost every year. The monkeys lifted off their back, as you said. The curse of Bobby Lane potentially lifted. The skies are bright. So let's talk about the future, and shall we move on to uh, the divisional picks? Yes, let's do that. Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, let's flip over to talking about the two teams that are left for the uh, postseason here in the divisional round week 20. We've got the Packers playing at the 49ers. That's the Saturday night game. And we've got the Lions at uh, home against the Tampa Bay Bucks in the earlier Sunday game at 3 p.m. So let's talk about the Packers first. We have to go out west at 8.15. And real quick, all of our AFC teams are gone now, so that's why we're not talking the remaining teams. So this is going to be a fun one because you have the Packers head coach, I believe was a Shanahan disciple, used to be a coordinator for the Niners, So this is a little, uh, you know, the uh, student is now playing the master. And this is a very exciting game. You have basically the Packers are kind of a younger version of what the Niners are trying to do. And I'm kind of curious how this goes. And this is going to be fun because it is a classic rivalry. We've seen a lot of this in the 90s and 2000s where the Niners and the Packers have both historically been good. We've seen a lot of it. This is a big win for the NFL in case you're trying to script it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as that goes around. Nah. So do you have any thoughts on this one about the Packers and how they match up with the Niners? Yeah, uh, as great as the Packers matched up against the Cowboys, and it really was special, as we saw. The this the Niners are a much, much more difficult matchup for them. Let's think about that defense that we for the Packers, first of all, where they've got the five-man front, they've got the safeties out back, and they give up a lot of in the short to intermediate. And guess where the Niners attack almost totally? The short wings underneath the Debo underneath the McCaffrey underneath the intermediate to Kittle. That's exactly what Joe Barry likes to give up. So to your point, schematically Joe Barry's defenses works great against what the Cowboys and bears are trying to do. But if he doesn't change what he wants to do against the Niners, this could get ugly and we could see a flame out of epic proportions specifically to the defense. I think the offense We'll struggle. The D- the Niners' defense is legit, but I think the Packers' offense is pretty solid. But it's one of those caveats. Beware of the team in the second round that looked really good in the first. 
Right. And with flipping it around to the offensive side, the Packers love to you know flood the field with their three offensive uh, offensive wide receivers and their tight end. Even their running back, Aaron Jones, is a really good pass catcher. So there's weapons all over the place everywhere. They've fought a lot of injuries on the offensive line, and they're playing one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. Oh, my God, yeah. Really deep line that added to it in the offseason and in the trade deadline with uh, you know, guys from Philadelphia and, and, and Washington, uh, Hargraves and uh, Chase Young. And then you also throw in, like, I like that you point out how the Packers like to run three wide receivers in the tight end. They have five really good young receivers that have all been stepping up and two good rookie tight ends doing it. So even if they lose a guy or two, the next man up has been really good for the Packers all year. But their their guys are not quite on the level of a Debo or Ayuk. And the other thing, too, is Aaron Jones is really good, but this is a really good defensive front. But on the flip side, McCaffrey can take advantage of the uh, soft run defense more than anybody we've seen in recent time. I mean, McCaffrey is the best running back in the league right now, hands down, stop. Uh, go check your fantasy scores if you want to doubt that, <laughs> yeah. you know, in addition to how they pass the ball through the air. So this uh, is going to be a much tougher um, matchup, in my opinion. And um, I'm going to go with the Niners, despite giving praise and finally admitting the Packers are good and have a good trajectory after the last two weeks. But I do believe they're not at the level of the 49ers. I'm going to end up having to take the Niners too, but let me ask you this before we move on. If the Packers do win this game and we come back next week and talk about a Packer victory, how is it that they did it? They get up early and they allow their pass rush to get after um, Brock Purdy. And I think the biggest weakness of the Niners is Brock Purdy trying to do too much and turning into a pumpkin. We've seen it a couple times this year. Remember when they played the Ravens? That's probably true. I think that if the Packers win, it's probably going to be a shootout. Mm. In At least that's how I see it. If Jordan Love does an excellent job of picking out hit the third or fourth receiver that's on the fourth or fifth San Francisco defensive back and can get the ball out quickly enough that it starts to get the safeties creeping up or something to get a little bit more pressure going mm-hmm. or uh, things of that nature, then I think Green Bay has a good chance. But it's I think Jordan Love has to read what the defense has given them and get rid of the football fast. And those guys have to be open. And to be honest, this offseason or this postseason so far, we've seen some of the def- best defenses in the league that are injured by their defensive ends, like Miles Garrett and Mika Parsons, uh, and even TJ Watt, although he wasn't there, turn into pumpkins uh, when they don't get there, when they don't get home. So, and, you know, the Niners are similar with uh, Nick Bosa. If they can contain him, the Packers might have a chance, the way they did against uh, the yeah. Cowboys. What That's a really great point. So many defenses are in the NFL are schemed to be led by their pass rush and their defensive ends that lots of teams like that are well-built like the Packers have many, many different ways to kind of disarm it, including look at all the underneath guys that they can hit in that offense. They've got those tight ends. They've got Dobbs. They've got Jones. They've got take your pick. 
Yep. So I think this is very much a Jordan Love game uh, from the Packers' side. Of course, they also have to be able to stop people, so we'll see what happens on that side too. They're going to need to somehow force Brock Purdy to do too much. I think you had the perfect quote there. On to the Lions and the Bucks. This was is a rematch of a game that was played earlier this season. The Lions won, uh, we talked about it on the podcast, kind of a defensive blowout where it was Goff had a huge game. I don't know if the Buccaneers let that happen again. Uh, how do you see this game kind of going? Yeah, so I believe it was 20 to 6, right? Um, defensive blowout, meaning they didn't look like the Buccaneers could move the ball. And this is an interesting one, too, because the Bucs have been one of the hardest teams this year to gauge because they'll beat the Eagles, they'll beat the Packers, and then they'll lose to a bad team, you know? And I think a lot of that is because they are engined by uh, Baker Mayfield, who is kind of erratic, um, you know. And when he's on, like he was, I mean, he was hitting all of his targets. In fact, he did better than his stats last week because he had a lot of drop passes. It was actually a terrible game by Mike Evans last week. And I'm just going to say, if the the Buccaneers win, it's because they have two unique things. One, let's say if Baker Mayfield's on and Mike Evans rebounds, that could just break open big plays regardless of how well the Lions defense does. That's been a recipe for success when the Bucs are on. The other thing that the Buccaneers have that's very unique is Vita Vea became the first defensive tackle to stop a tush push by Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles because that dude is possibly the best run defender I've seen in 20 years at, in the NFL uh, at nose tackle. And he changes running games. Now, if you can get Gibbs to bounce the ball outside it, you know, it'll be a lot easier. And this is kind of similar concern we had last week was, can they run the ball up the middle against Aaron Donald? Um, Aaron Donald's a force, but he's not, he's more of a wrecking block wrecking sack machine, you know, than a run stuffing, take on a triple team and still <laughs> knock the running back, uh, you know, bounce the running back outside. It's stumbling towards, you know what I mean? By having yeah, his lineman I mean, thrown into him. Yeah. Where he's got a, left tackle by the neck on one hand and a left guard by the neck on the other hand and uses both of them like clubs to smack the running back backwards. Exactly. And even when we're not exaggerating by a little bit, he at least yeah, just a little, yeah, he at least prevents guards and centers from peeling off of him and getting to the linebackers. So it makes it hard to break off big runs when uh, the linebackers uh, are free, you know, so it is a good Bucks team. I mean, we they lost Tom Brady, but they still have a lot of elements from that old Super Bowl run. So they are underrated. Um, I I still think the Lions are a better team. I think they're offensively they're consistent. I think getting the ball to Gibbs outside, getting the ball to Sun God, getting the ball to Laporta. I think this matchup is better for golf than the Rams did. And if golf can beat the Rams, I think he can beat the Buccaneers. So um, I'm going to let you jump in because I've been talking the whole time before I make my pick because I'm tempted to. <laughs> yeah, um, this is a I agree with you that this is a much better matchup for the Lions than the Rams was. The Buccaneers do a couple of really interesting things. They throw YOLO balls to their 
tremendous receivers. Mike Evans has had an incredible year. And that's a little bit problematic because the Lions have gotten just demolished by number one receivers over the last four to six weeks. And I mean demolished. So there is a real possibility that that happens again. And that would not be good because that would keep uh, Tampa in the game. So it's going to take a team effort to keep them from going down the field. But the Lions also have a really good run defense against a team that really doesn't have a great running game. So that is something that can work to the advantage. The Lions have more assets that they can devote to the back end because they don't have to blitz like crazy. They don't have to um they don't have to keep the safeties in to stop the run all the time. Yeah, that's a great point. They they don't they're not efficient. They might be good at stopping the run, but the Buccaneers are not good at running the ball efficiently either. Now to your point, I'm looking this up Puka Nakua had 180 yards, 81 yards um, last week against the against the Lions. When they played Dallas, CeeDee Lamb had 227. I don't think Mike Evans gets there, but you better not good. if you're a Lions fan. Oh, and in between it was 192 by Justin Jefferson. So this is the the 181 given up to Puka was actually the best defensive performance in the last three weeks against a number one wide receiver. So if you're still playing fantasy football, apparently start Mike Evans. He's going to get 190, 170 yards at the current rate of slowly getting better. <laughs> one of the things that I've also seen that's concerning, and we'll see if the Buccaneers try it, is the Lions have been awful against teams trying to play five-man fronts against them that was the big defensive adjustment for the second half for the rams was they went to a five-man front and all of a sudden the lions couldn't run the ball Mm. after having not running wild but nice success in the first half so they ended up in the second half being one-dimensional passing and it didn't work out so well they ended up winning anyway because they had the lead but uh, in the Buccaneers, we'll see if the Bucks are willing to add that extra pass rush. Or I mean, the thing is, I don't think they the Bucks need to go to a five man front to slow down the running game against the Lions. At least the inside running game. But the Buccaneers might want to add that extra pass rusher uh, to try and get in Goff's face because that's the one thing. If you pressure Goff, bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple different paths that the Bucs can win this game, but this is still a very nice matchup for the Lions. The Buccaneers are not good on the back end, especially in the intermediate game, which is where the Lions receivers do all of their damage. Mm-hmm. They need, they're good against the run, but it might end up being a really good Jameer Gibbs game, trying to hit the edges with the occasional inside to keep them honest. Running is about quantity, not quality anyway. Yeah, they'll still so, run. Montgomery will still get his carries. I just think it's not the game script for him to really ball out if you're betting props. Right. You don't need to get a ton of sacks to beat Tampa if you're the Lions. You just need to get some pressure. Yes. You also, yeah, a little bit of pressure, and you can see Brian Branch with another, like, two-interception game when Baker Mayfield's off target. Right. You got it. The Lions have much better corners than the Eagles, that at least the checked out Eagles. The Eagles and, quarterback play has been bad this year. I mean, yeah, like they, to be Bradford. blunt, they let too many guys walk. Yeah. And One at of the them end, 
Detroit. Yeah. And here we are with the Lions have, you know, a, if they can beat a team that they beat handily earlier in the season, they have a shot to go to the NFC title game. Again, possibly against the Packers, poss- which would be a home game, possibly against the 49ers. We'll see what happens here, but I think I'm I'm going to pick the Lions here because I can't not, especially after what they did last week. Uh, think, not against a team that I feel like they should beat more often than not. I think last week was one of the toughest matchups for the Lions. You have the ghost of Stafford coming into, into, into Detroit. You have Sean McVay, who knows everything about Jared Goff's shortcoming to the point where he signed him to a major extension and then punted him for Stafford. And was validated by that decision by winning a Super Bowl without him. Um, but remember, Goff's also been a veteran who's made the Super Bowl. And he's won playoff games. And they got the first one. The first one is the hardest. And I think now that that's off their back, they can relax and just play the way they normally do. I think they're better matchup for, uh, you know, I think they're better matched up against Tampa than L.A., and I am picking the Lions to make the NFC Championship game. And that is a word sentence I just said unironically in my lifetime. <laughs> it's it's an amazing statement on how far these Lions have come in just this just this year. But that's all the time we have for the Midwest Football Podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this little playoff preview and mini celebration for the Packers and Lions. We've got... Hopefully more games coming. We'll see what happens this weekend. It is possible we could get wiped out after this, and I, that would end our regular season, and we'll go and kind of go into off-season mode after that. Uh, more on what that means later when it actually happens. But uh, thank you for listening to us this weekend, spending some time with us, hopefully sharing, commenting, making us more visible. The thank yous also extend to... Raymond for our theme song, Call to Me, to Chris Brandley for our our social media logos. Thank you very much. But until it is championship game weekend, we will see you later. I miss you already.